Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 5th of June 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Goodness. So we are up to number six in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We've had love, we've had joy, we've had peace, patience and kindness. Hopefully you've perfected all of those uh, now. And this morning we are on to goodness goodness. It can sound rather bland, can't it? If you've ever done an essay and it came back with the comment good, it might be that you were a little bit disappointed because generally people regard excellent or outstanding as better than simply the title good. It's the same when Ofsted assess a school. Getting good rather than outstanding can be regarded as a bit of a failure. Describing something or someone as good is often seen as rather damning them with faint praise. And yet, the Bible still uses goodness as an attribute of God, doesn't it? Here are some examples coming up on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Psalm 107 says that. But there's more. Psalm 34 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Psalm 135 says, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. In fact, it does seem that it's the very simplicity of the term that in the eyes of the biblical writers gives goodness something that's actually above terms like outstanding, amazing, and excellent. Goodness seems to express something a little bit less showy, a little bit less outwardly impressive perhaps, but which possesses more depth. So when it comes to us, when it comes to the followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ being good, when it comes to understanding goodness as part of the fruit of the Spirit, what do we mean? Well, before we attempt to define goodness, in terms of human beings, it's perhaps best to start with some examples of it. And the first example comes from the life of this man. His name was Gordon Selfridge. He was the US businessman who founded Selfridges, which of course still has its iconic department store up in London. Now, Gordon Selfridge apparently once had a PA whose name was Colin. And not long after Colin began working for Gordon Selfridge, they were together in Gordon Selfridge's office when the phone rang. And apparently Gordon Selfridge, who was in somewhat of a hurry, said to Colin, his relatively new PA, tell them that I'm not in. And Colin picked up the phone and promptly handed it straight to his astonished boss, who had to accept the call. And after he had finished, Gordon Selfridge was furious but Colin apparently responded to his boss with this comment, I won't lie to him and I won't lie to you. And as a result, Colin became someone who Gordon Selfridge knew that he could trust with everything that was going on in his company. That is what is meant by goodness. A second example, this comes from a local woman who not long ago used a food bank in this area. I heard about this story some time ago. She used a food bank at a local church to get essential provisions to feed her and her family. And that 
is sadly not uncommon, is it, that need? But what is uncommon is what happened next. A few days later, this same woman came back to the food bank to return the food that she'd been given. And the reason that she did that is because some money that she'd been awaiting had suddenly arrived. And she knew that there'd be other people in greater need of receiving that food than her and her family. That is what is meant by goodness. The third example comes from that of a teenager back in the 1980s who said to his dad one day that he intended to use a one-day bus pass that someone else had used earlier that day to make a trip in the evening. Now, the teenager knew that the uh, bus pass said not transferable on it. He felt a little bit uncomfortable about this, and he was probably hoping that his dad, who was a vicar, would tell him it was absolutely fine. But his dad didn't, making it clear to his son that however much a saving that represented, however easy it was to get away with, it would be wrong to break the conditions of that ticket. That is what is meant by goodness. And yes, in that last example, in case you don't recognise the person with hair, I was that son. And the fact that I still remember it 40 years later shows that the impact that that had upon me 35, 40 years ago. They're all examples. Of course, there are plenty more that I could give. But they're all examples of goodness. Goodness is about character. The character that means that what we do matches up to what we say and claim to believe. And another word for that sort of goodness is integrity. I remember a head teacher at Rains Park High School giving a definition of integrity some years ago. I was uh, looking at schools for uh, one of my children. I don't remember which one it was. I think it might have been my youngest. But I do remember going along to Rains Park High and the head teacher saying, and again, this really struck me so much, I remember it years later, the head teacher said that he wanted the pupils at his school to have integrity. And then he went on and said, and my definition of integrity, he said, is doing the right thing when no one's looking. Now, from a Christian perspective, no one, of course, refers to human beings. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, our Heavenly Father does see what is done in secret. And goodness as a fruit of the Spirit is when we really believe this. And it really matters to us. We really believe that the stuff that God sees that perhaps no one else does really, really does matter. Goodness, in other words, is an absolute commitment to doing the right thing, whatever the cost. When we get an example of goodness and what it involves and its sacrifice in the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph, the one with the technicolored dream coat. Now, Joseph certainly wasn't perfect. <clears throat> he was a human being with flaws like everyone else. Due to the jealousy of his brothers and possibly his own conceit, Joseph ends up being sold into slavery in Egypt, doesn't he? And as a result of that, Joseph ended up working in the house of a man called Potiphar, and he was one of Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. Now there, we're told in the Bible, because God was with him, Joseph impressed Potiphar and rose to a position of importance, looking after Potiphar's entire household, and everything went well until Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph. 
And according to the story, she repeatedly tried to get him to have sex with her. And the words that Joseph said to Potiphar's wife as he refused are significant. This is what he said. With me in charge, my master doesn't have to concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's a very clear statement of goodness, isn't it? Even if he could have got away with it, Joseph believed that honouring the trust that Potiphar had put in him was crucial. Rather like uh, Gordon Selfridge's PA, Colin, he'd risen to his position because Potiphar knew that he could trust him. And Joseph believed that he had to be completely consistent with this, particularly at a moment when no one was looking. Particularly when he could have got away with it, perhaps, that was particularly important that he was consistent. Now, Partygate, you won't need me to tell you, is still raging at the moment, and it's all about the integrity of our politicians. It's very much still in the news, isn't it? Both Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, and before that Dominic Cummings, have been accused of demanding one thing from the public and doing another in private when they thought no one was looking. And these issues are, I believe, really important. I'm not amongst those who believe that we should simply move on. But, and it's a crucial but, we do have to be careful about hypocrisy here. Because the truth is that every single one of us faces the constant challenge to act with consistency in our lives. All of us, even those super PAs, Colin with Gordon Selfridge and Joseph with Potiphar, will fall short in this regard. None of us entirely match up to what we claim to stand for. We've all got blind spots, and times when, as I suspect our politicians have done, we cut ourselves a bit more slack because of the pressure we're under and all of the good that we're trying to work towards. But whenever we do that, whether we're a politician or whether we're one of us in our everyday lives, Whenever we tell ourselves that because of all the good that we're trying to bring about, we can cut corners on what we claim to stand for, well, we're kidding ourselves. There are no ethical shortcuts when it comes to bringing goodness. The way that we promote goodness more than any other way is quite simply by being good, by showing integrity. By, as that wise headmaster of Rains Park High School, I think he's moved on now, by doing what he said, doing the right thing when no one is looking. The goodness as a fruit of the Spirit is based upon seeing our responsibility, not just, of course, to other human beings, but to God himself. That's why Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew that the ultimate consistency that matters is consistency of our obedience to God. And it's not just about obedience to God. It's also about faith. It's also about our reliance on God's own goodness. 
And very often this does require a very strong degree of faith. We're told that Joseph prospered in Egypt because God was with him. We're told that Potiphar noticed this and saw how he could trust him. But as a result of Joseph refusing to have sex with Potiphar's wife, he gets falsely accused by her. And Joseph's life then becomes a lot more difficult as he ends up in an Egyptian prison for a number of years. And during that time, it would have been understandable if Joseph had lost faith in God's goodness. If Joseph had thought, well, I've tried to be good, but look what's happened to me. But it doesn't appear that Joseph ever gave up that faith in God's goodness and that God is working to a plan. Because near the end of that story of Joseph, as it reaches its conclusion, perhaps the most important statement in the whole story takes place. Joseph's talking to his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, and Joseph says this, and they're really crucial words about God's goodness. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. With the eye of faith, Joseph was able to see how God was working through all of the things that had happened to him. He was able to see that God's goodness actually was working even through the bad things that had happened to him, and particularly, perhaps, when he had shown goodness that reflected God's character and suffered for it. It's faith in God's goodness that enabled Joseph and enables us to live in a way that is consistent or as consistent as we can make to that goodness. There's another verse about God's goodness in the Bible which can also help us. This is in Romans 8:28, where Paul says this. It's a huge statement of faith. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Our calling, if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be part of God's good purposes. And the thing that can and should sustain us in this faith is belief in God's goodness. And we will need that. We will need that faith. Because showing goodness can very definitely be costly. It would be really lovely if when people saw someone being good, they were always impressed and led further towards God. Now that sometimes happens. And seeing consistent goodness in the life of someone who is a Christian is probably one of the biggest factors in people coming to faith. But it's also true that some will see goodness in the life of a Christian and find it deeply threatening. That expression about someone being a goody-goody, it really only exists because of this. And people who are determined to be good and show integrity, they will always have to suffer. There'll always be people who present that as ridiculous, not living in the real world, being a killjoy, and so on. Now, I do want to add that Christians are perfectly capable of being po-faced about things that are a part of God's good creation, and that's wrong and frequently a bit ridiculous. But it doesn't alter the principle here. When we're determined to do, and more importantly, when we're determined to be, 
things that are good. And when we rightly have nothing to do with things that are bad, we will frequently get a reaction. And the reason we'll get a reaction is because we're challenging the status quo. And that negative reaction, well, sadly, it won't always just come from outside the church. Sometimes when we try and do the right thing, when we try and do good within a church context, we will suffer as well. But as with all the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, the goodness shown by followers of Jesus is something that was perfectly modelled by Jesus himself. Jesus was full of goodness, wasn't he? And he suffered a reaction against that. It was reaction against the very goodness of Jesus that resulted in his suffering and his death. But that's where God, the Father's goodness, came in big time, didn't it? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. God reversed the guilty verdict when he raised Jesus from the dead. And when we show goodness in our lives, when we're determined to do the right thing, when we face those ethical dilemmas, large and apparently small, and we decide that we're going to do what is good, we're tapping into the power brought about by those events. Something really powerful is happening when a Christian decides, because they're a follower of Jesus, that they are going to do good rather than go with the flow in a particular situation. That power that came about through Jesus' death when evil was met with the fullness of the goodness of God's love and therefore sin and evil was defeated and therefore the resurrection of Jesus occurred, that power that is let loose in the world as a result of Easter Day, we're tapping into. And that power is something that then operates within our life. When we show goodness in whatever way, and particularly when we suffer for it, when we go through a hard time that echoes to some degree the death and suffering of Jesus, we can know that we're part of God's kingdom advancing further within this world. Advancing further within this world ahead of the day when God's goodness will totally and utterly triumph in every way. Goodness is perhaps the toughest part of the fruit of the Spirit because a lot of what goodness means is done in private. A lot of goodness is what people won't necessarily see. It won't get us particular plaudits. It won't catch headlines. It's a consistent way of living. But integrity, another word essentially for goodness, doing the right thing when no one is looking, is vital to our Christian faith. And that's why all of us need to take goodness seriously as a really important part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's just pray for a moment before I hand over to Tim. Perhaps let's think of a particular situation where we're facing the temptation not to show goodness. Perhaps a situation where we pretty much know the right thing to do, but we're tempted not to do it. Perhaps because of fear, perhaps for other reasons. Perhaps we just need to think about this challenge more generally.
Lord God, would you help us to reflect goodness in our life? Would you give us faith in your goodness? Would you help us to so believe in your goodness and the power of that, that we live lives that are consistent with your goodness? Particularly if we're facing a, a dilemma at the moment where we're unsure of what to do. Would you make us brave? Would you give us courage based on our faith in you? We ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.